Sports are back. Save 40%. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. In the last week, The Athletic has published several stories on what life is like for NHL players inside the bubble. We've had articles on the challenges local broadcast crews are facing calling the games remotely. And, of course, we've covered the games themselves. And there are many more to come. Get all access to The Athletic's exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Get unlimited access to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. I look at the pictures of the NHL playoffs in Edmonton and Toronto with no fans, and I think to myself how crazy those pictures are going to look in 15 to 20 years. It's reality now, though, and you don't want to miss it. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets the athletic apart. And if you go to the athletic.com forward slash we went blues you can receive 40 percent off an annual subscription sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams so go to the athletic.com forward slash we went blues for 40 percent off an annual subscription we hope to see you there And welcome into episode 56 of We Went Blues, the podcast, and my guest today. I've actually got a bone to pick with him. I'm going to address that as soon as we bring him on here. Jesse Granger, he's my colleague at The Athletic, works in Las Vegas, does fine work. We're going to talk about one of his big stories this week. We're also going to talk about the Blues in Vegas. They play at 530 Central Time on Thursday night, the Blues' second round robin game. And we'll also get into uh, the Western Conference, the top four seeds, how that's going to play out and a lot more but back to that uh, bone I need to pick with you Jesse is I thought I was all set to pack my bag told my wife I was going out to Vegas for a couple months to cover a uh, Western Conference tournament and it turns out the 11th hour that tournament was uh, changed to Edmonton so it's all your fault you know what I wish we were all here um no, no shot at Edmonton, but I feel like it would have been a lot more fun down here. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place, obviously, notorious for fun. Uh, Edmonton, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 great. You know, they're, they've done a great job, and you know the bubble's working both in Edmonton and Toronto. And and honestly, I was fine with the decision. You know, you want to be safe with what they're doing. If they're going to go through all the legwork, uh, pick the safest locations, and it turned out to be. Uh, Edmonton and Toronto, but uh, by all accounts, you saw it in that poll that we did at the Athletic. I think the coaches said that Vegas would have been their pick. Right, right. I mean, there's definitely a lot more to do outside of hockey here, but like you said, I think the most important thing is finishing this thing and having a team hold the Stanley Cup at the end. So if if it takes to go into Edmonton and Toronto to get that, I'm all for it. One of the challenges for us, and we won't go deep into this because nobody cares, but one of the challenges is writing from home. You know, the games are going on in Edmonton, and, and I'm writing about the Blues, and uh, Jesse's writing about the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, but you know what I've found is uh, we can make some phone calls. We can talk to some people around the league. And also, uh, we do have some notes and some stories that we've been hanging on to for some time. And you had one that you ran this past week, the Mark andre Fleury story. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I think you made the trip to Quebec back in January. I got the headline up here. Vegas goalie Marc-Andre Fleury is just a sky from a small town. Tell me about the uh, origin of that story and, and why you made the trip to Quebec. Yeah, that uh, I'll, I mean, just start by saying it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Uh, one of the, the most fun things I've done as a journalist. Um, and, it, and it basically just started from, I mean, 
I haven't covered Flurry as long as the guys in Pittsburgh, but in the small time I've gotten to cover him, um, I'm just blown away by how awesome he is off the ice, just as a person, just the way he deals with not only his teammates, but fans and employees at the arena and just literally everyone he comes into contact with and everyone you talk to about the guy just has nothing but good things to say. And I'm like, man, what in a sport, because hockey has so many guys like that. And in a sport full of guys that uh, a sport full of awesome people, it feels like Fleury kind of stands out as, as one of the, the nicest, most beloved players in the league. And I wanted to find out why. So, um, I, Luckily, Flurry was awesome and gave me the access. He, he set me up with all the addresses and everything, got me uh, going to Sorrel. And like you said, I went in January, which was for, for a Vegas guy, uh, Quebec in January is quite the experience. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was actually after a Golden, the Golden Knights played in Montreal. I took a bus to Sorrel, um, completely French speaking. I speak zero words of French, so it was a little intimidating at first. But uh, the people in, in Sorrel were amazing. And I got to... I actually got to stay with his uh, goalie coach who's been coaching him since he was 10 years old and, and still coaches him every summer. They, they still work out together. So his lifelong goalie coach, I got to stay with him and his wife. And they were, they were amazing. They were basically just like Marc-Andre Fleury. And so, so I kind of wrote in the story that I, I went to Sorrell trying to find out how Marc-Andre Fleury ended up the way he is. And I left saying, like, how could he be anything else other than that growing up around these people? So it, it was just a really, really cool experience. And, and when you approach a story like that, and you, you and I, you know, have done a, a lot of those, uh, you know, you, you don't always have it all mapped out. You don't know who you're going to talk to. You don't know how it's going to come together. Uh, I got a kick out of the part of the story. And if folks haven't read it yet, it's at theathletic.com. I got a kick of a uh, kick out of you sitting at the bus stop. It's probably minus 30 degrees, whatever. And you're trying to get a hold of the goalie coach. You have no transportation. Your hotel's on the other side of the river. You know, I've got to admit, I've been in a similar situation before where you just kind of look up at the sky and say, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> but it's obviously for a, a good reason, because what happened there is uh, you got the goalie coach on the phone and he was uh, there at the bus stop to pick you up a couple minutes later. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I get the, the Montreal bus stop. Obviously, Montreal is a much bigger city. It was this huge building with heaters and restaurants and everything inside. So I'm riding the bus to Sorel and I don't really have much of a plan, but I'm like, whatever, I'll, once I get there, I'll figure it out. And the bus drops me off. They're like, here's your stop. And I look and it's just a glass <laughs> box and there's three feet of snow piled up on each side of it. The snow is, it's snowing at the time. It's the wind is blowing it sideways. It was miserable. And uh, Steph Menard, goalie's, uh, uh, Fleury's lifelong goalie coach, he rescued me. He brought me back to his house. And like I said, he doesn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of French. So we were, I had my phone out with the Google Translator app and I'd say something and then it would play it in French for him. Then he'd record French and then it would play it in English for me. And, and he was just awesome. I told him where I was staying. Like you said, it, I booked a hotel across the river and the only way to get across that river, there is no bridge. You have to ride a ferry oh, my goodness. a couple times a day. So he's like, yeah, you're not doing that. You're staying with me. So uh, <laughs> luckily him and his wife kind of took me in. Uh, it was it was awesome. I watched the, it was actually the night of the AFC championship game, Chiefs and Titans. So I got to watch the AFC championship with them in French um, at their house. It was it was a really cool experience. And then again, he drove me around to to the rink Flurry grew up playing at. Um, we went over to Flurry's sister, younger sister's house, and I got to do a really long interview with her. And um, he drove me to uh, Flurry's house that he grew up in. And then the people that own that house now actually were nice enough to let me into the 
to the house and, and they, they told me about a letter that they found. It was so cool. I mean, like I said, everyone in that town was so unbelievably nice to a complete stranger who didn't even speak the same language as them. So I, I was blown away. Yeah, and you mentioned, Jesse, that uh, Mark andre Fleury really helped you out, told you where to go and, and who to talk to, things like that. And, you know, maybe people hear that and they say, okay, you know, here's a guy who uh, wouldn't mind having a story written about him, but that's not it. I think with uh, Mark andre Fleury and some of the athletes that I've written about over the years, it's not so much that they're looking for this big story. It's that they want to help you. They know you've got a job to do. They've been around the league for a long enough time. And if you're taking interest to go make a trip like this, uh, they're going to go out of their way to help you out. A hundred percent. And, and, and he helped me so much, like to the point where, I mean, this story was seven months in the making and a couple days before it published, we were still finding little details and clarifying little things. And he's up in the bubble in Edmonton and he's going through his phone, finding pictures of him at his high school graduation <laughs> to put in the story. I mean, he's, he was, he was really helpful. And like you said, it's, it, it takes time of getting to know these guys and, and, and they see what you're going through and you see what they're going through. And he, kind of, he wanted to help me out. And he, and he knew this story meant a lot to me um, from how much time and effort and work we put into it. So like you said, he, he, uh, he knows what we're going through. So he wanted to help me out. He was, he was awesome throughout the whole thing. You know, for sports writers, we could probably do an entire podcast on this, but we'll just limit this to, uh, you know, a, a brief uh, conversation here. The making of a good story. So you go up to Quebec, the goalie coach picks you up at the bus stop. You know, you spend the night at his house. You go to all these places where Fleury uh, played growing up. Now you've got all this information. You sit down, the laptop, and the cursor's blinking. I've been in that spot a million times. It doesn't just come together. You know, what in your mind is the key to putting all that together and making it really enjoyable for the readers? Yeah, especially for a story like that because – I mean, when you, when you do something like that, you gather so much information and you know this, like there's so much stuff you want to include, but you can't, like I could write a novel on it, but you have to pick the, the only the best and most important stuff. And there's so much stuff you want to include. So that was the hardest part was, was determining which anecdotes I actually wanted to use. Um, I'm a big anecdotes guy. That's my, I mean, that's, I try to find one for every story I write. That's my thing. And in, a, in going to someone's hometown, you're bound to find a bunch of stuff like that. And, and to me, I started by f figuring out like, what was the, the, the coolest thing in my mind that I found out, that I discovered, that I unearthed while I was in uh, Sorel. And I, and I started with that letter that I mentioned. Um, I, it's funny because I go to Flurry's house that he grew up in and I just expected to take pictures of the outside of it just for the story. But as I'm taking pictures, a guy comes walking out and he's got his daughter with him and they have a little sled. And they asked me, uh, or I introduced myself and, and told them I'm just taking pictures of their house because Fleury used to live there. And they're like, you want to come inside? And they invite <laughs> me in and they let me, they let me see his old bedroom. That's now the daughter's bedroom. And he, he opens up this electrical circuit box in the bedroom and he's like, yeah, you'll never believe it. I found a letter here. Um, and he thought it was written by Fleury, but it actually wasn't written by Fleury. It was written by Fleury's best friend growing up. And it was a letter, um, <laughs> Fleury and his buddy were at a hockey game and they grabbed the roster sheet and his buddy wrote out exactly what Fleury should tell his girlfriend at the time, which is now his wife and they have multiple children. Um, basically profess his love to her before he heads off to Cape Breton for the winter to play junior hockey. And, uh, <laughs> That to me was the coolest thing that I found. So I, I really went deep into that. And that was kind of how I opened the story. But yeah, when you when you talk about trying to figure out a way to 
construct all these cool things you found out. Um, to me, I always just start with, what did you think? What did, what did I think was the coolest thing I, I saw in Sorrel? So that's kind of just how I started it. That's a great idea. And you're dead on about those uh, anecdotes. Uh, you know, when I sit down with a, a family or, you know, you're talking to people on the phone uh, and they mention something that you know readers are going to uh, gravitate to. Uh, I remember talking to Robbie Fabry's dad one time and he said, yeah, I think uh, Robbie, when he was like in the third grade, he painted NHL on this rock as an art project or something. I'm like, you do have that downstairs, right? You you are going to take a picture of that and send it to me, right? Because <laughs> that is going to go on the athletic uh, in the Robbie Fabry story. So you're right. I, I just think those anecdotes and just where it, it takes people behind the scenes with some of these athletes uh, is just phenomenal. So you did a, a great job with that. And, and if you haven't read it at The Athletic, please do. Um, you know, before we uh, head to our first break, Jesse Granger of The Athletic Las Vegas, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, the goalie position. I have you on uh, Facebook and uh, I know you're a goalie. I see you suited up in the pads and I just want to know where that started, how long you played the position and does that help you write about goaltenders in the NHL because I have to admit there have been uh, many times where I'm writing a story and I just have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've played goalie basically my whole life. I grew up in Colorado Springs and uh, from a very young age that was the sport I gravitated to and it just started with like street hockey in the front yard and even then even when I first started playing and I didn't have any gear I always wanted to be a goalie. Um, I just thought they looked the coolest with all their gear on and that's just what I wanted to do and uh, started with like soccer shin pads and a baseball glove in one hand and then I actually used a soccer shin pad for the blocker on the other side I would just hold it with my hand. <laughs> uh, and and then it and then I, I played uh, competitively I played both roller and ice um, more roller than ice just because that's what the money allowed um, and I, I played travel roller hockey all the way through high school um, and then I moved out here to Vegas at right at the end of my high school uh, career, I guess you would call it, um, right right before I graduated high school. And I kind of stopped playing when I first moved out here to Vegas. And I went a long time without playing a few years. But then once I, I started covering hockey and I was at the local paper at the time out here and I started covering hockey and I was around it and I was at the rink, I just couldn't, I got the itch and I started playing again. So now it's been four years or so that I play and I play four or five nights a week when I'm not busy traveling. I, I play almost every Monday through Friday uh, in the beer league. And because I'm a goalie, I get to just fill in. So, so it's, it's awesome. I love it. I can't get enough of it. It keeps me in shape, and and it does. I think it does help me. I, like I don't. I don't pretend to be a goalie expert because I. I mean, there are so many people that have played it at much higher levels, and I didn't play past high school, so I. I didn't. I'm, I haven't played in any sort of professional league or anything like that. But it just. I've been through a lot of the things and I know what it's like to try to look through screens and I know how impossible it is when the puck gets deflected two feet in front of you. And, and I think it, I try to give that perspective and I come off as a goalie apologist um, because I'm always finding a way to not blame it on the goalie. But I'm, if you know what, if my reputation is the goalie apologist, I'm okay with that because <laughs> I, I try to, I try to give a better understanding because I think it's a lot harder and it's a lot different than it looks on TV when you're actually standing there in the crease and there's six guys in front of you and it, it's the puck is bouncing different ways and you're trying to track it. So so I think it does help me um, when, when I'm writing. And, and I do feel more comfortable breaking down the goalie position. I'm, I'm more likely to criticize a goalie than I am a defenseman or a forward just because I feel more confident in my knowledge of that position and I feel like when I when I have an opinion I, I'm, I'm a little stronger about it when it's when it's goalies just because I feel like I know that a little better I just think it's really interesting because I can go down to the concession stand during the game and talk to the guy you know the vendor and uh, relate to what it's like to cook a hot dog uh, but here you are in the locker room with Mark Andre Fleury and you can talk about what it's like to be behind a screen 
it, it is. And and like to be honest, that is is part of the reason I was able to write that story is because every and like Malcolm Subban too, I got to know him really well. When I when I don't have a reason to be in the locker room, when I don't have when I'm not in there looking for a specific story, that's usually where I end up gravitating towards is is to flurry and and not Leonard as much just because everything shut down after they got him, but I've talked to him a couple times, but I was able to build really good relationships with Flurry and Subban just because I like talking goalie stuff. I like talking gear. Why, why do you strap this, the, your, your third strap on your leg pad? Why do you tighten that? I like to have it loose on mine. Uh, why do you tie your toe ties this way? I, I, uh, how do you break in your glove? Just stuff that only goalies care about and nobody else does. Um, and, I, and I think that that like kind of builds some rapport that they actually, they know that I care about the smaller things that they're doing that, that most people in there have no idea about when we come back on we went blues the podcast jesse granger of the athletic las vegas and i will look ahead to thursday's game between the blues and the golden knights but first i have a message for local business owners regarding the athletic the blues are back on the ice and we are just days away from the stanley cup champions defending their title i look back to last season and so many businesses capitalized on the run to the blues first stanley cup in 50 plus years you don't want to miss out this year so please consider being a sponsor of we went blues the podcast most of our listeners are in and around the St. Louis area. What better way to promote your business than through our show? Think about it this way. You're a Blues fan listening to your favorite podcast, so why not reach out to fellow fans who are listening too? To advertise on this very show, just go to www.theathletic.com forward slash podcast ads. There you can fill out a very simple form, and we'll get back to you right away. So go to www.theathletic.com forward slash podcast ads today. We're back with Jesse Granger of The Athletic Las Vegas, my colleague. And Jesse, uh, there's going to be a hockey game tomorrow night in Edmonton. The Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights drop the puck at 530 Central Time. What's that, like uh, noon your time? <laughs> something uh, like that. I think it's something uh, like that. 330, yeah. Yeah, 330. Hey, I'm just glad that uh, we don't have all these late games like Russo. I think he's back-to-back uh, 930s he's had here lately. Yeah, it's actually surprised me because the Golden Knights almost always have the seven o'clock games out here, seven o'clock Pacific time, so ten cent or ten Eastern. Um, I, the fans actually out here are saying that they're too early; they can't get off work to go to them. So it's I don't know why they, the Golden Knights probably should be the late game. Uh, and that's a reference to uh, Mike Russo. He's our colleague at the uh, Athletic Minnesota. Does a good job with the Athletic. We're going to have to get him deep into the playoffs. He's been doing this for about twenty twenty five years and uh, just can't crack a deep run in the playoffs. So I know. Uh, I think I may have covered more playoff games than Russo has. <laughs> I've only been doing it for three. <laughs> oh, don't tell him that. Uh, but the Blues and Vegas this year, uh, Blues were 1-0-2 against Vegas. Uh, Blues fans will probably recall that four-goal game by Zach Sanford, uh, but the Blues couldn't pull that win out, uh, lose to the Golden Knights. What do you think about the matchup this season? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Golden Knights definitely struggle with St. Louis. It's it's They, they play really heavy and structured, and, and the Golden Knights, those are usually the teams that give them problems. Um, they, they're usually better against the up-and-down teams that kind of don't play with as much structure. And like you said, they, they did earn two wins, but they were both in overtime, and they were both comebacks. I mean, the Blues were up big in both of those games early. And, and actually, Vegas has never beat St. Louis in regulation in franchise history, so... Um, they're still trying to, to get that win in regulation against them. I think it's a tough matchup for the Golden Knights. What if they won one like uh, Colorado did the other night with about a split second to go against the Blues? <laughs> they, that was uh, about as late in regulation <laughs> as you could get. <laughs> Vegas had a buzzer beater to beat Nashville in the regular season this year, and it was uh, 0.3 left, and that was a ton of time compared to uh, the goal by the Avs. Unbelievable. Uh, the 
Vegas Golden Knights made a coaching change. Gerard Glant uh, out, Pete DeBoer in. How are the Golden Knights different under Pete DeBoer? Um, I mean, they've been more consistent, which was, to me, the reason they made that change was under Gallant, this team would play out of its mind one night, and then the next night they just wouldn't show up. So they've, they've been a little more consistent, and I don't know if that's as much Pete DeBoer or it is just they woke up and, like, we got our coach fired. We need to actually uh, get it together. So I think that's part of it. But then also the, the main thing that DeBoer focused on when he came in was just the defensive zone breakouts and getting out of their own zone and not turning the puck over and not getting hemmed into their end for long periods of time. And the Golden Knights... They, they have some good defensemen, but if there's a weakness on this team, it's the it's the defensemen past the first pairing. And uh, I think since DeBoer came in, he's changed a little bit. They support the puck a lot better, and the forwards come back to the defensemen and give them more options. And cleaning that up has, because of because you're not playing in your own zone the whole game, you're, you're getting more offensive zone time, and their scoring has gone way up since DeBoer came in. And I don't think it's necessarily anything that they're doing offensively. I think they're just able to play offense more often because they're not stuck in their own zone so those are the big differences I mean they were they were one of the better teams down the stretch with under DeBoer so if they can continue playing at that level which right now who knows how these teams are going to play but uh, if they can continue at that level then they're they're going to be hard to beat one of the quirkiest things of this season in this 24 team return to play format to me is the Chicago Blackhawks had no idea they were going to be in this uh, they were uh, looking at a, a season that would not end in with a playoff and so they trade their goaltender, Robin Leonard, to the Vegas Golden Knights, a great pickup for the Golden Knights. Now Chicago finds itself in the playoffs, and obviously they've still got a good goaltender in Corey Crawford. Uh, but now you guys have, uh, when I say you guys, talking about the Golden Knights, have two, Mark andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. How does that work out? Who plays and who can Blues fans expect to see tomorrow night? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a game-by-game decision, according to DeBoer. I expect Marc-Andre Fleury to be in net against St. Louis just because from the day they traded for Robin Leonard at the deadline, they have alternated every single game. And it was uh, obviously regular season when they got him, and they went 3-3, and alternating each game. And then since they've come back, they uh, DeBoer said he expected them each to play 2 and uh, in exhibition and round robin. So Fleury got the first one, uh, Leonard got the second one against... Uh, Dallas the other night, and now I expect Flurry to play. That hasn't been confirmed yet, but uh, yeah, I, I honestly think they're going to keep this going. This rotation, they like them both. They both have completely opposite playing styles, so I don't know if that helps or hurts. Like, I, if if you're the opponent, it is going to be different. If you're in a series, if you're in a playoff series, and every other game you're facing a completely different style of goaltender because you've got Flurry, who's small and ac- acrobatic, and he's very aggressive, and he comes out of his crease a lot to challenge. And then you've got Leonard, who's just, uh, I mean, he, he compares himself to the walrus in the Geico commercial, just kind of sitting there. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't move much, but he's so big, and he, he plays the angle so well, and he knows where he is in his net. Um, so you've got pretty much the two most opposite-style goalies in the league, and they're both really, really good. So it's going to be interesting to see. I do think eventually, as we get into these actual playoff games, they'll probably ride a hot hand. Um, but for now, they're kind of just alternating, switching them both off, and seeing what each guy can bring. Yeah, it seems like an advantage to have two different styles and and rotate them, but you're right. You know, traditionally, once you get to uh, the playoffs, you're going to ride one guy so, uh, you know, the team can be comfortable, but uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Hey, one other quick uh, lineup question about uh, tomorrow night's game between the Blues and Vegas Golden Knights. Mike, uh, Max Pacioretty, it's been a good pickup uh, from Montreal, and how, uh, how is he doing and will he be available, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, Max Pacioretty led the team in goals and points this season. He was unbelievable. Uh, had a career year, better than any of his years um, in Montreal, which is obviously a little surprising at the age of 31. But he was he was fantastic this year, and, and he was fully healthy coming. He, he got hurt there right before the season paused, and the pause allowed him to come back all the way, and he was fully healthy when they started camp. And then all of a sudden, halfway through camp, he just went missing. And uh, they said at the time it was going to be minor. Pete DeBoer said he expected him to practice before they even went up to Edmonton. And that clearly didn't happen. It's taken a little longer than they expected because Pacioretty didn't even travel with the team up to Edmonton. So he's still here in Vegas today. Um, and, wow. well, as of yesterday, he was still here in Vegas. Um, I highly doubt he'll be in the lineup against St. Louis. At this point, they're just probably hoping to have him back for playoff time just because with the quarantining when he gets up there, um, I, I've read a million different rules on what he's going to have to do. And I'm <laughs> honestly not sure. Um, it sounds like he'll have to do four days and produce four negative tests before he'll be able to, to join his team up there. But regardless, um, I definitely don't expect him to be in the lineup against St. Louis. And that's, that's a big hit because that's, like I said, their top score. And he really completes that top line, um, that makes it one of the more dangerous lines in the league. And without him, they have Chandler Stevenson up there who has played fine, but he's definitely not a player of Max Pacioretty's caliber. We hope that'll get you prepared for tomorrow night's game between the Blues and Vegas Golden Knights. Again, 5.30 Central Time in St. Louis. When we come back with our special guest, Jesse Granger of the Athletic Las Vegas, we'll discuss what we've seen so far in the round robin and what the last couple games could mean for seeding. But first, a message from Roman. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get you the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You can also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you are struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com forward slash blues for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com forward slash blues for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And we're back on episode 55 of We Went Blues. Our guest is Jesse Granger of the Athletic Las Vegas, and we broke down the Blues and Vegas Golden Knights, who will be in action on Thursday night. Now we want to talk a little bit more about the top four seeds. They've played one round robin game. Of course, Blues fans know that (laughs) the Blues lost with just uh, oh so little time left in that game uh, to the Avalanche 2-1. to one. And the Vegas Golden Knights in their first game, Jesse, as you know, beat the Dallas Stars 5-3. to three. What do you think so far about this round-robin tournament? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's, it's a lot more intense than I expected when they first announced it. Uh, now that we've seen how these exhibitions have gone, obviously it's not as surprising that the intensity is where it is. But uh, it's, it's been good, and I, and I think all four of these teams have, have shown minutes of, of looking really good. And then they've had periods where they're not there. And I guess that's kind of to be expected after four months with no hockey, but uh, like in the, in the golden Knights, Dallas game, the stars were 
absolutely the better team through 40 minutes. I mean, they dominated the Golden Knights for the first two periods of that game, and they were up 3-1, to one, and then the Golden Knights all of a sudden found their game and exploded in that third period. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, and, and in that, from, from what I watched of St. Louis and Colorado, it kind of seemed very similar, where, where the teams would look really good for a period, and then all of a sudden it's not there. So it's, yeah, I think all the teams are hoping they get that consistency a little more um, as these go on, but it's going to be interesting, interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's tough with this Blues teams. You know, fans have, have watched the exhibition game, a 4 nothing loss to Chicago, and then lose a 2-1 to to Colorado in the first game of the round robin. There was so much talk, you probably heard it in Vegas too, uh, from coaches and players leading up to this, that uh, you got to get to your game quickly. And uh, some teams have, some teams have not. The Blues are one of those teams who have not. But, you know, anybody who's watched the Blues for this past year, you kind of got to give them the benefit of the doubt because – they just respond to a bad game or, or poor performance uh, really well. You know, they've had this line, hey, we'll be fine. And usually it turns out they are fine. Uh, but this to me is a little bit different this year. I mean, the first round is going to be next week. And if you're not playing well, you're not on top of your game. I mean, you could be down 0-1, 0-2 to one of these uh, teams that are in the play-in uh, games right now. Yeah, it's crazy that this this St. Louis Vegas matchup I think is going to have a pretty big impact on just the psyche of these teams and and where they are because like you said St. Louis has had a slow start and if you if you go in there and lose to Vegas all of a sudden it's like wow they lost to Chicago and then didn't play well against Colorado and it's 0 and 2 and like man is this team going to find its game whereas if St. Louis goes in there and blows the doors off of Vegas the last two games are completely forgiven and it's like all right here we go we're going to the cup so um as, as meaningless as this game is, I mean, it has something to do with seeding, but it, obviously neither team is in, in danger of being eliminated. But I think for, for the psyche and just the overall, like how these teams are feeling, I think this game is big. Yeah, I've been saying that to people for a couple of weeks. It's not the fact that you come out of this with the third or fourth seed because it's about the matchup. Look, you could get the number one seed and play a hot Chicago team. Uh, I know they lost to uh, Edmonton. Uh, it's not about the matchup, though. It's the fact that it means you will have gone one and two in the round robin or 0 and three. And it just means that you're not on top of your game. So uh, these teams, I believe, you know, team like the Blues, uh, even though you feel good about uh, where they're at uh, mentally, uh, they at some point need to perform and, and play well. And they just haven't done that yet. So I agree with you that that game against uh, Vegas tomorrow night, a little extra motivation for the Blues to kind of show themselves that they're on top of things. And uh, Jesse, before we wrap up here, these other series, Edmonton, Chicago, 1-1, they're all 1-1 except for uh, the Calgary-Winnipeg, as a matter of fact. So you have Nashville, Arizona is 1-1, Vancouver, Minnesota, 1-1. Has anything caught your eye yet? Anybody playing well that you didn't expect? Um, I mean, the most entertaining hockey you can find on TV right now is Chicago-Edmonton. I am absolutely glued to the TV when those two teams are playing. Not that I think either of those teams is particularly good. I think they're both going to run into trouble when they face one of these round-robin teams. Um, just I, I think in the West, and, and hockey's so crazy, so anything can happen. I mean, an eight seed can be in the cup final like it's nothing. But I, I really do think that these top four teams have separated themselves. I think they're better than these teams that are playing in, the, in this qualifying round. But at the same time, I, I, I mean, it's hard not to be impressed with some of the stuff Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will do for Edmonton. I think whoever comes out of that matchup, whether it's Chicago or Edmonton, just because of how those teams are scoring, I think there's definitely going to be some nervousness for whoever has to play the winner of that series. So to me, that's what stood out is just how much fun those games have been. And it's partially because neither team can play defense, so that's obviously an issue. But um, they're scoring like no one else around the league is right now. 
you're a goalie. Was that Connor McDavid goal not sick? <laughs> the the backhand one where he just yeah. lifted it up over. Yeah, I mean he's he's ridiculous. It's it's one of those things where, and I I saw somebody actually tweet this, and I, don't, I wish I could give him credit. I don't remember who it was, but when Connor McDavid takes his off hand off the stick and puts it up to shield the defenseman. It's a goal. Like at that point, when he lifts his arm, you're screwed. It's over. Um, I mean, he's so unbelievably good. So, yeah, even even as a goalie, it's fun to watch Connor McDavid make the goalies look ridiculous. And our hometown guy here, the St. Louis native Matthew Kachuk, making more friends with uh, the opponent. Right. Yeah. I mean, he that that's what you expect going into that series, and and it's been as advertised. Um, it's all of these series, man. There's been quite a few scraps. I was not expecting the number of fights and and post whistle skirmishes that we've seen. Um, these guys, there's a lot of pent up aggression after four months with no hockey. Jesse, terrific story on Mark Andre Fleury. I hope people go to the website, theathletic.com. He's in uh, Las Vegas and read that story. A lot of work went into it as a fellow writer. You know, you can see the work that goes into it when you when you read the story. Uh, phenomenal work. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you so much for the scoop on the Golden Knights going into this game. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Well, you can tell your friends about all the podcasts at The Athletic. That was episode number 55 of We Went Blues. Our special guest, Jesse Granger. Also at The Athletic, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun are back with the two-man advantage. And welcome New Jersey Devils goalie, Corey Schneider, who's done some work on the TV side. He's moonlighting as a guest studio analyst on NBC Sports. He's their guest on the two-man advantage this week. Also, the full 60 NHL return to play roundtable with Craig Custance. Scott Burnside again, Pierre LeBron, man, those guys are working hard. And Ryan Clark and Katie Strang, uh, that'll publish Thursday at The Athletic. So be sure to tell your friends about all the podcasts at The Athletic. And check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. We went blues on Apple. And don't forget, if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com forward slash we went blues you'll get 40% off your subscription. So that was episode 55 of We Went Blues. Thank you to our special guest, Jesse Granger of The Athletic Las Vegas. I'm Jeremy Rutherford in St. Louis. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you subscribing, and we'll talk to you next week. 